So we're continuing in our series looking at the first words that Jesus spoke after he rose again from the dead. I like to use my imagination. I, I have a pretty vivid imagination. Maybe you do or you don't, but maybe like me, you've imagined having a face-to-face interaction with Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to grab a cup of coffee with Jesus, to go for a walk with Jesus, to talk with him face-to-face? Do you think about and imagine the kinds of things you might ask him, the kinds of things he might ask you, the things that you would talk about with him? I I know for me, when I'm struggling. I I go through different seasons where I'm struggling. I'm anxious. I have doubts, frustrations. I'm in a difficult spot. When I'm in that spot, I have a hard time sleeping. And so early in the morning, I, I won't be able to sleep, and I'll wake up super early, and I'll walk out into our kitchen or dining room, and I'll sit down at the table. I mean, I actually do this. I'll sit at the table, and I'll imagine that Jesus is sitting in the chair across from me, because he really is present always. But I can't see him, but I'll I'll try to imagine, and and I'll talk to him out loud, and and I'll say, Jesus, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm going through. Here are my doubts. Here are the things that are stressing me out. Here are the things that I'm concerned about. And I'll try to listen. I'll try to imagine I hear his voice out loud because I I want a face-to-face interaction. He's always present. He's always interacting with us, but very few of us have had face-to-faces. Can we say that, right? So it's like, can you imagine what it would be like if you had one? And I know that for me, when I make mistakes, when I fail, when I fall, when I sin, if I think about a face-to-face with Jesus, the first time I see him after I've failed him, I I imagine he's probably disappointed with me. I imagine he won't look me in the eyes. I imagine he might yell at me. He might make me feel bad for what I've done. He might call me a failure because my imagination goes in those kinds of directions because that's often the kinds of experiences we have face-to-face with people. But what would a face-to-face with Jesus be like? And so this scene that we're going to look at today in John chapter 21 Jesus has face-to-face interaction with his disciples, specifically one of his disciples who has failed him. And we get to see, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, we get to see the kind of interaction Jesus has. And what it does for me is it shows me his character, his attributes, what he's like. It helps my imagination to see the truth of interactions he has with his disciples. So follow along with me in John chapter 21, electronic or paper copy. And just to sort of set the context of what's going on here, Jesus is the main character of this account, but Peter is also a main character. Peter's a fisherman. He's a fiery, impulsive type of guy, a fisherman. And Jesus and Peter meet, Jesus doing what Jesus does, he's preaching and teaching, Peter doing what Peter does, he's fishing. And Jesus comes to teach and preach. There's such a huge crowd that gathers that that Jesus says to Peter, hey, can I borrow your boat so I can teach the people and get kind of away from the crowd a little bit and talk to them? Peter's like, cool, you can get in my boat. And so Peter 
says, come on in, and they get in the boat, and Jesus preaches to a crowd, and he finishes his preaching, and he says to Peter, hey, let's fish now. And Peter's like, you don't get fishing, kid. Like, you know, this, we've already done this. This isn't the right time of day to fish. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's fish. And Peter goes, okay. And they catch an incredible amount of fish because Jesus is present as the creator and the sovereign of the universe who commands fish. And if Jesus says, get in that net, fish obey. And Peter sees that something crazy just happened with this holy prophet. He falls down in front of this prophet Jesus, and he says, I'm a sinner, and you probably shouldn't be around me. And Jesus says, I know you, Peter. I know exactly who you are. I'm going to make you into someone who fishes for people. No longer a fisher of fish, but a fisher of people. And then Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus and spends the next three and a half years. He leaves his business. He leaves his family. He hangs out with Jesus 24-7 towards the end of Jesus' life when Jesus is about to be crucified. Right before that, he says to Peter, you know, uh, soon you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, 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 I won't do that to you, Jesus. Yeah, you're going to do it. And it all unfolds the way Jesus says Jesus is arrested and nailed to a cross, and Peter, right before that happens, denies him and runs. He cuts and runs. Right when Jesus needed him most, he denies him. And Jesus rises from the dead, and the interaction we're going to see today in John chapter 21 is just a few days after Jesus rose from the dead. And you got to think, how is this interaction going to happen? The last time the two talked, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter denied him, and now what's the interaction going to be like? What's the face-to-face? And as I read this passage, I want you to zoom in and think about the character of Christ, who he is, what's his personality, his attributes, what is he like? John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, after he rose again from the dead, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now now try to imagine these guys that are all going fishing again left their fishing to follow Jesus. Now Jesus died, rose again after three and a half years. They've been connected with him deeply. Now he's different. Things are different. He's no longer walking with them like he did for three and a half years. And they're looking at themselves and going, what are we going to do with our time? What do we do now? He's not here. Let's go fishing. Let's return to what we know. Let's do what we do best. They go fishing. Verse 4, very early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, 
They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hey, guys, come and have breakfast. Isn't that incredible? Like, do you actually notice what's going on here? That Jesus says, come and have breakfast. This is incredible because we don't expect Jesus is going to show up on our fishing trip. I mean, really, we don't think that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who just walked out of a grave alive, the sovereign over all things, is going to show up on our fishing trip after all that he has done, all the teaching, all the miracles, all that's transpired with his disciples over these last number of days, including their betrayal and denial, and they cut and run. Jesus comes on their fishing trip. That's amazing to me, and he performs yet another miraculous catch for them. Hey, you guys have been fishing all night and caught nothing. Hey, have you caught anything? Nope. Throw it on the other side. And tons of fish. Why would he do that? Maybe to show these disciples, hey, you've been with me for three and a half years. Do I have to remind you? Yes, I'm happy to remind you again what I called you to. I have a purpose for your life. I'm going to make you into someone different. And then did you notice that Jesus had a fire ready for him? Think about it. Jesus knows how to make a fire. That's cool. And did you notice he cooked fish? Jesus knows how to cook. Did you notice that he already had breakfast made, but he says, hey, bring your catch too. You brought something to my house? I'll throw that on the grill too. Do you notice that Jesus shows up in these ordinary ways before he ever opens his mouth, speaks a word, challenges them, equips them, or teaches them? Before he does anything for him, he provides for them breakfast. I mean, he meets his children. This is the point. Jesus meets his children in the most ordinary places in life. He's just willing to come on the fishing trip with his disciples that are like, what are we going to do now? Let's go fishing. He goes, joins them. And it's so important for us to know this, profound to think that Jesus knows your address. Like, have you thought about that? Jesus knows where you live. Jesus knows your favorite chair, your favorite blanket. Jesus knows your favorite channel. He knows your address, your email address, your text message. He knows your cube at the office. He knows what you like to do at work. He knows what you don't like to do and who you don't like to do it with at work. He knows the intricate details of your life. He knows if you're a student how hard it is at Parkland and Emmaus to walk out your faith. He knows your strengths 
and your weaknesses. He knows the things you do really well and the things you don't do so well. He knows the things that tempt you, that when a bait is flying in front of you, you're quick to try to grab at it. He knows the things that are going to lure you in. He knows how you try to hide from him. He knows the doubts, the frustrations, the fear. He knows the shame that you walk with and try to deny. He knows every sinful pattern, every way you get anxious, every way you get fearful. He knows how you get paralyzed and don't do anything. He knows that you get fixated on the fears of the past or the fears of the future. He knows where you live, where you hide, what you feel, what you think, and it doesn't scare him at all. He shows up right there. I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible. And he provides for you exactly what you need in that spot. So you're a student at Emmaus High School at Parkland Elementary or Middle School. It's hard to follow Jesus. He shows up in the hallways of those schools with you. He knows how hard it is at university to follow Jesus and, and to avoid temptation and to honor him. He shows up there. He shows up in the things that matter to you and the things that you dream that nobody else cares about or nobody else understands. He shows up where you're most tempted, where you struggle the most. He shows up where you're brokenhearted and full of grief because you had a hope for something to happen, a relationship, a loved one passed away. He shows up in the middle of that grief. Maybe you feel depressed or alone. He shows up. Maybe you're getting older and feeling like life is passing you by. You're irrelevant. You're not needed at the office. You're not cared about. You're ignored. You feel like, what do I have left to offer the world? I'm not young and hip anymore. He shows up right there. He shows up in the ordinary places. And he cares Let's have breakfast. He cares deeply. He comes and listens and tries to understand. He knew what the disciples were going through. And when he showed up at the fishing trip, at that traffic jam of emotions, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? We've got doubts. We know we've screwed up. We know we've made mistakes. He shows up at that traffic jam. He's not too important. He's not too powerful. He's not too supernatural to show up right in the ordinary mess of your kitchen to listen to you, to try to understand you, to guide you forward. We don't expect he's going to show up on a fishing trip, and we also don't expect that when he shows up, he's going to gently correct our mistakes. You see, we think when we use our imagination that when Jesus shows up at work, at home, in my temptation, in my kitchen, in my mess, that when he sees the failure of my lives, the mistakes, the temptations, that when he sees those temptations, those struggles, those failures, and he knows that to be true about us, we think he's going to blow us up for how we failed him, how we failed and fell and did the wrong thing. I try to imagine Peter. At this point, he's had three interactions with Jesus. Jesus has yet to bring up for him the way he denied him. And so you, you know his brain is going, at some point, is Jesus going to say something to me? At some point, he's going to bring it up and go, remember the conversation we had? Remember I told you what you were going to do, and you got all holy and pious and passionate and said, no, no, not me. I would never do that. 
and you did it, you know he's thinking about that and going, when is Jesus going to say something? Is he going to blow me up? Is he going to treat me harshly? Is he going to belittle me? Because that's what we do with our shame. We, we make it about, oh, I'm so small. I'm so ir- irrelevant. I'm so broken. God can't possibly accept me. But when Jesus shows up, Peter's been waiting. Check out how he brings up the subject in verse 15. The last time they spoke, remember, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way. Look at how Jesus brings this up. When they had finished eating, because Jesus knows with guys, you better eat first. Before we do anything serious, we got to eat. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This private one-on-one interaction after Peter makes a huge mistake When the heat was turned up, Peter caved in. You think Jesus is going to yell at him, belittle him, make him feel small or shameful, but instead he asks a very gentle, direct question. Not a question about what Peter did in the past. Not a question about what he actually did or said. He just asks him, here and now, Peter, do you love me? It's so telling about the heart of Christ. No rehearsing what happened in the past. Just the simple question, here and now, do you love me, Peter? And he repeats it three times. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Do you love me? Yeah, I said yes. Do you love me? Dude, I said yes three times. You know I love you. We're going to practice this, Peter. Do you love me? Because he gets right at the heart. And here's what's incredible. Jesus knows his children's heart, but he doesn't ever treat us harshly. He doesn't treat us harshly. So if you had all knowledge about all the people that you're sitting with right now, if you knew exactly what the people sitting next to you were thinking and feeling about you in this moment, how would you act? You might get a little, let's go. Like, I think, you know, if I knew what you were thinking about me right now, I might go Jersey on you. But that's not how Jesus acts. He has full knowledge of how Peter thinks and feels. But he doesn't use that knowledge to belittle Peter, to throw gas on the fire of his shame. Instead, he drills right at the heart. I think of how I would react. I would be saying things like, Peter, you deserted me when I needed you most. You said you would die for me. You said you loved me. You said you were willing to follow me. You deserted me. You said you would die for me, but I had to die for you. You think of all the things Jesus could have said and didn't say. He could have done and didn't do. This shows you the character of Christ. He asked this simple question, do you love me? 
And when Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus gets that there's a traffic jam, and that is a mix. He does love him. He does have doubts. He is made mistakes. He's failed. He's fallen. He understands all of that. And so you might expect when Peter says, I love you, you might expect Jesus to say, yeah, Peter, I know you love me, but because of your behaviors and how you've acted, I got to kind of have to put you on the JV team for a while. I got to sideline you a little bit because you botched it. You messed it up. You got to go back and repeat grade two again and grade 12 again. You got to but that's not how Jesus reacts. Instead, he sees Peter's heart and encourages and equips those who love him. This is the character of Jesus, that when he sees and knows and understands the fullness of your heart and your mind, he'll show you what you need to know, but when you know it and you understand it, he encourages and equips you forward. This is incredible. I think he was able to see that Peter didn't need a lecture on how he failed and fall and how he betrayed and denied. He didn't need a lecture on that. Jesus knew and saw his heart and instead, I want to encourage you and equip you, Peter, to be the man I've called you to be. You know, sometimes, this isn't true all the time, but sometimes we're more aware of our own sin than anybody else. Do you need somebody to hold up a mirror to you and show you your sin? Sometimes we're blind and we can't see it. Many times we see our sin, our failures, our struggles. We see it better than anyone. Do you think God knows that about us? He knows if what we need is encouragement and equipment to move forward. He also knows if you need a rebuke, and he understands in this setting, Peter doesn't need a rebuke. He knows what Peter's thinking and feeling, and he equips him, and he says to him, Peter, I called you to be a fisher of men. Remember three and a half years ago when you couldn't catch fish that day, and I said you're going to be a fisher of men, and then we did this for three and a half years, and I showed myself to you over and over again, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to be my shepherd. If you love me, I want you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we know from the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament that Peter becomes a key leader in the advancement of the kingdom of God, all because Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knew that he loved him, and now he equipped him and encouraged him to go forward. You know, your story is similar. It's not the same. Jesus knows your heart just like he knew Peter's heart. Jesus knows what he's calling you to do, just like he knew what Peter was called to do. And, and most of us aren't going to have Peter's calling to be a preacher and teacher. That's not it. But he knows your heart and your shortcomings. He's not going to treat you harshly. He's going to gently tell you what to do next. He's going to equip you and encourage you. So if you had breakfast with Jesus today, I think he would ask you one question. Do you love me? Of all the things he might say, I, I don't know, I'm using my imagination. If he could have breakfast with you, brunch with you, if he could get wings with you, go for a walk with you, what's at the core of what Jesus wants to know about you? It isn't, do you understand me? He might say, do you believe in me? Do you know me? 
Do you have a relationship with me? Because I want to have a relationship with you. But once you are a son or daughter of God by faith in Jesus Christ, I think the question he would ask is, do you love me? And how would you answer? Well, I don't know enough to love. Jesus, I can't figure out what's going on in my life. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to believe or to trust. He wants to know, not based on what you've done in the past or what you're afraid of in the future, here and now, do you love him? And if your answer is yes, if your answer is yes, then he wants you to obey him, follow him in your calling. And we all have a different calling, but I go back to, man, I'm just seeing this week because I have teenagers, how hard it is. If you're a high school student right now, in some of the high schools around this area, how hard it is for you to follow Jesus. If you would say, I love Jesus as a high school student, student, he wants you to honor him and know that he will walk with you through those hard hallways so that you can honor him. If you're a student athlete or an artist, if you love Jesus, he wants you to honor him with your gifts and your talents. He's going to walk with you through those things. He wants you to honor him. If you are an employer today, you have people that you work and supervise, if you love Jesus, what does he want you to do? He wants you to treat them justly. If you work for someone and you say you love Jesus, what does he want you to do? Work with all your might as if you're serving Jesus. If you're a parent today of children, what does he want you to do? If you'd say, I'm, I love you, Jesus, he wants you not to treat your kids harshly. If you're a wife, you say you love Jesus, he wants you to respect your husband. If you're a husband and you're, you love Jesus, he wants you to die for your wife. If you're a financial planner, if you're whatever you're to do, there are things God wants in how you behave and act and treat people. Maybe there's something going on that he's been calling you to trust him and you've been afraid and paralyzed. If you love him, trust him. Don't give way to fear or anxiety or shame. I trust you. Because this is profound. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 15 says this. It's so simple. If you love me, keep my commands. Get a tattoo right here. I mean, this is Christianity. This is basic Christianity. If Jesus would say to you, do you love me? If you say yes, obey me. How will I know that you love me? When you obey my commandments and your scriptures are full of commandments. Help me to take the next step of obedience. Show me the next step of trust, the next step of obedience, the next step of I will follow you with whatever you say. If I love you, I will obey you. And that's not easy, right? So that's why we do this together. That's why we come together to learn and to grow and to sing and to pray and to do small groups and men's, women's, men's and women's ministry. We do this together because a lot of us will say we love him. Less of us are walking in obedience. Jesus understands that. He comes alongside us, gently shows us it's about your obedience, 
Listen to my call. I'll guide you. I'll walk with you. I won't treat you harshly. I'll convict you of sin. I won't condemn you. I will show you. I'll have breakfast with you. I'll show up in the ordinary places of your life. Obey me. Trust me. Follow me. Two weeks from now, or a week and a half, we're going to do something called prayer and praise. It's when we gather together as a church family next week, April 24th, and the topic is going to be, if you love me, you will obey me. And we're going to pray together as a church family that we would love and obey Jesus. So I'd love for you to join me. It's an intimate setting where we just learn and pray together. You won't feel awkward or weird. I would love for you to come on April 24th in the chapel to pray and praise God together on this idea of how do we love and obey Jesus. Let's pray. As broken people, the thought of sitting down with you face to face is both awesome and overwhelming because you see everything about us, yet your character is you are gentle and kind, loving and patient. You will show us our sin, but you won't treat us harshly. You won't belittle us or shame us. You invite us to come to you, and you show up in the broken spaces and the hard difficult days, in the messy kitchens and messy relationships, you show up. Before you ever try to teach us, you provide for us. Before you ever convict us, you take care of us. You are love. So, Jesus, show up in the lives of your children today. Show us our sin, but help us not to be ashamed. Gently teach us and guide us, equip us and encourage us to take a next step of obedience, a next step of following you. Thank you for rising from the dead and using your infinite power and infinite knowledge to equip and encourage people like us. You are worthy of all praise and honor. Amen.